G'day, teabaggers. It's Will. I'm uh, walking around my hotel in New York yet again. Uh, I just had a gig earlier tonight at Caroline's. Uh, we're filming the Montreal Just for Laughs documentary here in New York at the moment uh, before we d- head down to Montreal next week and, uh, well, on Sunday. Uh, and uh, so... Uh, they've been shooting some of my sets and I had a really lovely set last night at Gotham, really enjoyed that. And then tonight I was doing the uh, D.L. Hughley early show at Caroline's. Now Caroline's pretty touristy, it's on the strip. And uh, also, uh, you know, D.L.'s lineup is uh, all African-American apart from myself, uh, who was just slotting in for my for my eight minutes. Uh, look, it, it went fine. Uh, everyone was really complimentary and apparently the other comics thought it was really funny, uh, but it wasn't my favourite set. You know, the crowd was still settling. There was literally still some people coming in during my set and it's just a bit hard to to grab them and create an environment and uh, know that you're filming and you have to do certain material. I couldn't sort of bail out and do uh, other older stuff because they've already seen that on previous specials. So... Anyway, look, it was fine, whatever. Uh, anyway, the, the, the point of it is that I have a gig later on tonight at the stand, which I'm sure is going to be great. And it's a big headline, it's a headlining spot at a cooler, cool sort of more indie club. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to that great lineup. Uh, Dan St. Germain, uh, who I may have talked about before on the podcast, a guy I've worked with before, and I think it's really, really funny. So, um, uh, and a bunch of other comics as well. So, in between, I thought, you know what, uh, I'm just going to wash that first gig off. I'm going to come back to the. I'm going to come back to the hotel and I'm, uh, you know, going to have a shower and, uh, you know, kind of just start again. Uh, you know, I'm going to start again, basically, uh, go to the next one fresh and uh, kind of get that one out of the system. So anyway, I was sitting here and I had about an hour to spare and I was uh, I was watching all, all the tragic news um, about the malaysian plane that had been shot out of the air and i guess by the time you hear this you'll have more idea of actually what has happened in that situation but i don't know uh, as i'm getting older i guess when i was younger like 10 15 years ago as a comic i might have been trying to make jokes about that or you know come up with the the wittiest line or or whatever but i don't know these days maybe just the fact that i'm a million miles away from home and i'm not around my friends much anymore and because I'm pursuing this kind of selfish thing, you know, this thing, it's what I want to do. And it means that, you know, a lot of people get left behind and and their lives change just because I want to go and do something. And most of the time, you know, the fact that I want to do this thing and it's a new adventure and whatever, you know, like sometimes I was thinking about this with Charlie, you know, Charlie and I hadn't really uh, spoken to each other in 18 months well barely I mean we you know, caught up a couple of times but like really not substantially since we'd stopped doing the podcast and how nice it was to you know even have those three days even though we're trying to jam a lot of uh, recordings you know into that time and we got a bit tired and we were both working and I was a bit jet lagged but you know it was nice to be back doing the podcast and so I guess in a time like this when something really tragic happens like you just you realize just quickly that how short life is and that you could just i could be off having this adventure and i mean i catch planes all the time like i'm not scared of catching planes by the way this is not some big revelation i'm having now but it just made me think that like i do all these things all the time i'm always in the air i'm always traveling around i'm always going to weird places and you know doing weird things and and so it made me think that like what if something happened because you always think well it's okay i'll get to hang out with my friends you know when i'm done doing this like you know i have to do this for a while and then hopefully it'll work out a bit and then i can kind of you know spend some more time at home with my friends and 
you know, I haven't really had a day off in four years because I've been trying to pursue these two things and I've been going pretty hard at it. And But again, it's very selfish, you know, like I'm working hard and I'm trying to, you know, make some good things. And uh, But it is, it's like, I, it, it's selfish and I understand that. And then suddenly I was like, oh man, what if I didn't, if I didn't get to just, I mean, Justin and I have been wanting to just hang out like we used to hang out all the fucking time and now i get to see him every now and then you know when he stopped touring with me and stuff although i'm happy to say that he's going to come back and uh, tour with me at the end of the year when i do some perth and darwin shows uh and i think uh if we do the dvd in sydney uh either at the end of the year or early next year then um i'm definitely going to get justin to come and do the support for those if he can so because i want to hang out with him you know like he's my best friend but he's my best friend that i don't really get to talk to or see and you know, I miss Charlie and I miss Amy and I miss all those guys. So anyway, look, this is not meant to be some big confessional. Uh, it was literally I was having a thought and I was trying to write it down. And I was like, oh, my brain was working too quick for my pen and the, the act of... And I was like, oh, I've got my recorder just there. Why don't I just record this? And then, of course, as always, I'm like, why would I ever like, record anything and not put it out as a podcast? So... <laughs> I um I, I think I'll probably just put this on the uh the top of the next uh the top of the next tofop I guess um you know as the intro to that that's what it can be that's coming out in a few days um buy a t-shirt there you go yeah, that breaks it up from being some suicidal confessional end of the world diatribe you know I'm plugging merch in the middle so I can't be that serious we've got a new t-shirt some of it's already sold out we'll try to sell some more but um, I'm glad that you've liked it uh, and that's Okay, well, that actually brings me to the point that I was going to make. So here it is. Um, I was sitting there and the T-shirts just went up for sale and I wanted to put a link up. But it was really weird to try to put a link up, like to plug something on a day when everybody's messages, their Twitter or their Facebook and whatever is like dominated by the news of this like big, big crash, you know, like this major thing that's happening in the world that's like terrifying terrifying there's 27 australians well there was 400 people you know i mean like but you know there was 27 people in our country in australia back home it could have been anyone or or touched us all or touched people you know so on this day i was like i still want to put up the fucking t-shirt link and i want to because i particularly what i wanted to do was put up the discount code because you know you can get discount shipping from australia but if people don't have the code then they can't do that so i was like well i want to do that and i was having this almost like this crisis of not crisis of confidence but just a crisis of like oh can i post this what do i do and it it started me thinking about the podcast and you know, I've been doing it a long time now and, you know, when I decided that I would keep doing, like, faux fop when Charlie came back and we were doing toe fop and then it kind of just made me realise that it had become a really big part of my life and even though I've kept doing it, I've just been doing it, I haven't really, like, reflected on it and gone, where does this fit into, like, my life and my career and my world and, you know, maybe I'm going to keep doing it for ages. I'd never really thought about that. I was kind of like, I can't really imagine my life without the podcast now. It's been my way to connect to, you know, my world and my friends and meet a bunch of new people that you've all got to listen to me, get to know as I've got to know them. Like, so it makes me feel connected with all you guys. The fact that you're like, oh, you're kind of like, you know, I've had more conversations with fucking Ryan Sickler or Jen Kirkman on that podcast than I've had not, or at least, you know, They've all been because of the podcast, like, you know, Jen and I tend to natter on for about another two hours after we record one, but I, 
but you know she wouldn't be coming around to just have a chat you know so it's been great for that and it's been great for you know you've got to kind of go along on that journey and that's why i hope that people do listen to to all of them i hope there's something interesting in all the different different guests i only choose people that i like and that i want to get to know and i want you guys to get to know and like that i take that really seriously like i've always just tried to get people on that i was like yeah i think people will like this or i think this will be a good conversation like i've been really overwhelmed by the response to like the sam simmons uh episode because i've been get, trying to sam and i are friends and i've been trying to get sam on for ages and it just hadn't worked out and like he got sick one time and then, hey well whatever and uh but people love that you know and sam's so wonderfully awkward that you never he never knows how it's all gone so i know that he's been very gratified by the response to that as well so um I take it really seriously, I guess. I think about it. And so that just made me think now. I was like, well, I should post this thing because it's important. It's important to the podcast. And the podcast is important because it's this cool thing that we have that we share together, like, for no reason. Like, it exists for no reason other than I get to make something the way that I want to make it. And that's why most of the time, you know, most of the time I'm joking. Not always I'm joking when I say, fuck off, it's a free podcast. But I kind of mean that because I'm like, this is what I want to make. And it's great because of all the things that I do, they all have these restrictions on them. But this is the only thing that doesn't have any restrictions at all it can just be whatever i want it to be and it's a very lucky thing in my life to have something that i can make exactly how i want to make it and people are like great yeah we like that it's fucking great and if there's never another person who listens to it and it's just us for the rest of it i don't want to stop doing it so That's what I started thinking about. And that's when I picked up the recorder and I thought, oh, well, fuck it. I'll just speak it into this. And I was just going to send a note to myself, but then that seemed weird. So it's easier to talk to you guys as I walk around my hotel room. I will not reveal to you what I'm wearing because then this shit would get weird. It just happened to be when I picked it up. So I, anyway, uh, I'm about to have a shower and wash off that gig and get to this next gig. And in fact, I have to do that really quickly because I've talked for longer than I wanted to. But this is what I came to. I've been thinking about the podcast and I've been thinking about, well, what is it? Are you doing it because at some stage it will... Do you think it will work out financially or what? I don't know. What, what, why? And the only reason I do it is because it's awesome and I love doing it. I just love it. I'd love to be able to do it every day. Like sometimes I think I put out too many episodes for people, but I, don't, I just can't stop wanting to talk to people and make things because it's so much fun to make. It's so much fun to get another comedian around and make something with them. Like at the end of it, we've made a show. So fucking cool. I hadn't met Gareth Reynolds. I hadn't met him until the other day. And like an hour and a half later, we had made one of my favorite things I've ever made. That's so, it's such a fucking great gift. Uh, so I thank you for listening to the podcast and I hope that you indulge this. But you know what? If you don't, fuck off. It's a free podcast. Uh, but I would like you to buy a t-shirt, which again brings me back to this point. This all triggered in my mind because I was thinking about the crash and I was thinking about why I was selling the t-shirts. And this is what I've decided. I want to work out a way that this podcast can just pay for itself. Like we do a budget at the start of the year and I go, what does it cost for us to do it? 
And then I just want to work out a way for it to pay for itself. Because at the moment it doesn't in any way. And I haven't cared. And I don't, I know, by the way, I don't care. I'm not going to stop doing it if we don't do this. But this is just what the thought I'm having in my mind. This was going to be my note to myself. It's not some Jerry Maguire-esque, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to ask you to all go with me. And there's just one person, like one Renee Zellweger who has faith in me uh so um no that that's not what this is it was just going to be a note to myself something to ponder something to consider and as you know having listened to the podcast my opinions have changed over the years and i'm always welcome to having new thoughts and going in new directions because you're a different person every day so i uh (laughs) sorry now it's turned into a philosophy still available but i'm not sure where it is on itunes Uh, that they got bored with me not doing it and made it go into the witness relocation program so i have to send someone an email about that but do you know how hard it is to fucking find a person they don't want you to contact them that's what i'm telling <laughs> anyway whatever uh my point is this i think i might just try to make it work the t-shirts are going really well and you seem to like those and we don't make a great profit on them but i just think i'd rather make like really cool stuff cool stuff okay uh, cool things for cool people maybe that's the motto maybe that's what it's going to be about cool things for cool people I just want to be able to do it, to have it be a neutral part of my life where I'm like, okay, well, this is just a thing that exists. And then you're like, what a great gift. This was the point I was trying to make. What a great gift it would be to know that I could do something that costs me nothing, that gives me so much joy. Now, I don't care at the moment that it costs me something and it gives me this much joy, but I thought, you know what? That's what I want to do. We're not far away from that, by the way. Like, you know, we sell some T-shirts regularly and, and you know, uh, we put on a couple of live podcasts and stuff like that and you come out and support those. And that's all we really need to do. I'm not, to- I'm not going to put ads in or anything. I don't want to do that. Um, I want it to be, that would then be, oh, it's got someone else's thing in it. It's not our just our beautiful, perfect thing. Suddenly it's a compromise thing. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to make cool things for cool people. So whether they're cool t-shirts for cool people or whether they're cool podcasts for cool people or whether they're just cool live shows that we always try to make awesome and and whatever else and whatever else we do and, and I'm just going to make sure that all the things are just so cool that you want to have them. So anyway, uh, that's it. That's um, I've got to go. Uh, so uh, thanks for supporting the podcast. Uh, I, <laughs> wouldn't it be ter- terrible if like I did I, I did die like and this was like <laughs> oh my god oh terrible like his last thing he, he like he died on stage at Caroline's I didn't really die I mean, that's being self-pitying but it's good for this uh, he died on stage and then he died IRL <laughs> IRL R-I-P T-O-F-O-P hashtag F-O-F-O-P so uh, anyway uh, <laughs> toe rip it's the uh, anyway whatever shut up i've got to go uh anyway what i just wanted to say was thank you i suppose that's what i was thinking this is a nice thing and i'm glad that you support it and you know tell other people uh who would like it so yeah the more the merrier the easier we are to just but that's what i guess that's what i'm saying the more it grows the more cool shit i'll be able to do so i guess yeah keep spreading the word but keep putting the reviews on itunes and all those sort of things and keep uh but just invite cool people let's not let any wankers in we we'll just have we we'll just have the cool cool people. Fuck off! It's a free podcast. <laughs> See ya. The following episode of Tofop is rated M A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language.
TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. There hasn't been any great advances in prison rape or space travel. That's awesome. Is it a gritty reboot? We've been talking about Batman like usual. <laughs> World was like. It's free, you know. I travelled through time. So she socializes. Yeah. Um, Because I walk her when I'm home. It's not you. It's the uh, washing machine where I've got old pipes in the house. It's your half-brother you keep locked in the cellar. Yeah. Wall. Yeah. Wall Anderson. Phil Anderson. Gil. (laughs) Gil Anderson. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. So I I walk her when I'm home. Amy's been busy, though, because she's got school. Mm. And so that's pretty long hours. So she goes to the uh, dog walker with the other dogs two or three days a week. So she goes and plays in a pack and he sends videos through. Oh, really? Yeah, it's fun. It's good. So even when I'm overseas, I get to see her, like, you know, playing with the other dogs and stuff like that. I think Junior, uh, he... It's been good. She's gotten heaps better. I think Junior's uh, an Uncle Tom. Like, I think... He prefers racist humans. No, no, it just doesn't like his. Oh, it doesn't like dogs. Yeah, like you know, he'll hang out with them. He'll put up with them, but he, right. he thinks he's if he good. made a romantic comedy, be called "Must Hate Dogs." <laughs> <laughs> it's more like Twelve Years a Junior. Yeah, right. <laughs> he uh, he kind of. I think he. We've just we've broken him. He has uh, uh, what's the Stockholm syndrome? Yeah, where right. he's like, oh, these are these are my guys because he like he'll play with dogs and stuff, but he 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 just now would much rather hang out with humans. And do human things. Ramona is, um, well, she wants to do everything, but she's very, very friendly to other dogs. She loves, like, she doesn't understand why any dog wouldn't want to say hello. Yeah. And she's undaunted. Probably to her, probably to her detriment sometimes because, like, the biggest dog in the world and she'll just trot up like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. I think that is a puppy thing. Junior used to be like that. But as he's gotten older, it's like, uh, yeah. like you would as you get older. Yeah. Like, fuck I, I you guys. Time. Like when you're a kid, especially you, when a puppy when comes When you're a kid, you'll play with anyone. You're like, yeah. it's another kid. Like when Ramona has come up to Junior, he's like, yeah, I got no time for this with your questions and you're right. biting my nose. And What's you're going on? My ear come on, nah, go no. away, go away. I've, I've look, I've I've done my time as a puppy. Uh-huh. I just want to sit on the couch, watch some TV, <laughs> eat some bones, occasionally shit in the backyard. That's his life. I've settled. Yeah. I'm in a routine. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I need new friends. I don't need new I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the he's the crotchety old man that needs a, just a, a remote Ramona to come along and teach him how to live again. Right. <laughs> this is the movie. Yeah. Must hate dogs. Yeah. Because he's a crotchety old guy who wants like a, another dog, but it's a- You know what it is? It's Punky Brewster. <laughs> <laughs> he needs a little scam for Ramona to come and w- <laughs> melt his icy cold heart. <laughs> Uh, that's great so that means Junior's the uh, c- com- Commandant Lassard from Police Academy remember he's the same guy from Funky Brewster was it I can't remember that like I mean I remember Com- the- Commandant Lassard no L- was Lassard the the big oh, boss the know, one who gets the blowjob at the podium you know that which is my favourite joke in Police Academy for anyone who hasn't seen it as a prank, Mahoney and his friends hired a prostitute under the podium yep. where Commandant Lassard is uh-huh. about to give his speech 
So halfway through his speech, she starts giving him a blowjob. Oh. And rather than immediately... It's where Bill Clinton got his inspiration. <laughs> but rather than immediately stopping her, whoa, shit, hang yeah. on, there's someone on the podium. Yeah. I would do if that happened to me. He allows it to happen. And even I think orgasms, like while give, and while continuing to give the speech. As if it's a common occurrence. Yeah, no, as if not. it happens to him all the time. As if the weird bit isn't that he's being sexually assaulted. assaulted. The weird bit is that he also has to make a speech. That's the joke, really, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Oh, the eighties. But I mean, what kind of like, what kind of life have you lived where, out of the blue, you feel something touching your penis and you just okay, allow it. <laughs> All right. Well, Andrew uh, Denton. I'm used- sure, like Charlie Sheen is like that. <laughs> Andrew Denton used to tell the story about this guy David Hill who used to run the ABC, and I think this is more like a common thing to say. I'm not. I don't know if this actually happened, but he told it as if it happened. And this guy David Hill he apparently had quite a massive. Ego, and so they're in the lift one day, and this new person who's working at the ABC is, uh, says that David Hill and says, "I think you're doing, you know, you're a great job in the organisation. You're a great boss. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, I'd really like to give you a blowjob." What? Right. And David Hill says, "Now, I think this is like a joke. I'm right, not like right. I. I don't think this incident actually happened. Okay. It's more like a an example of what kind of guy an example he is. of what sort of guy he yeah. is, right?" Uh, so, um, yeah, so she goes, I'd really like to give you a blowjob. And David Hill says, yeah, but what's in it for me? <laughs> <laughs> David Hill, the commandant Assad uh, of the 80s. The yeah. 80s. Ah, <laughs> uh, the 80s. That's when... It's a motto of uh, Triple M, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, if you, if you look at a lot of those 80s movies through modern eyes, like there's some terrible messages. Oh, yeah. Them. Like, Definitely. I mean, the How things that we comedies- thought... Well, hijinks it's like, like you know, spying on women when naked in the women, shower yeah. and stuff. Oh, the hilarity of these sex criminals. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the standard they used to love is two guys dressing up like girls and sneaking into in the women's ladies' room. Oh. That was like, that was the height of comedy. It was also the height of comedy just to put a guy in a dress. Oh. Like, how absurd is that? Oh, <laughs> hilarious guys in dresses. Crazy. There hasn't been a good drag comedy in a while, has there? Well, no, because now, like... Well, there's good ones, though. Like, Tootsie's a good drag comedy. Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> the Birdcage. Uh, yeah, the, uh, to, I think Tootsie is really good. I haven't re-watched Tootsie in, like, 20 it years. It holds but up. It's does good. it? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I thought it might, actually. Yeah. But it's also because it's not, like... It's not It's not just him in a dress being the funny bit. It's no, what he course. has to do and, you know, the fact that the character becomes more popular than he ever was as an actor and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's... And he's a good actor. So it's not just... Like a dude in a dress. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not... Yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. You know what I was thinking the other day is I was in a bit of a weird alley. They are thinking about making Mrs. Doubtfire too, though. There's yeah, been a lot of press it. about that recently. Yeah. Which doesn't really make any sense because he kind of looks like an old lady now. Right. Wouldn't have to put on as much makeup or anything. But also, like his kids know he's Mrs. Doubtfire now. Like what's the story? Well, maybe to reboot. I'd have to be like the grandkids or something. Maybe it'll be like passing on the baton to a young Mrs. Doubtfire. You oh. know what I mean? He trains up a... Like he, it's like Batman Beyond. He's like Bruce Wayne's now retired, and so he finds a a new Mrs. Doubtfire to pass the the makeup and fake boobs on. He goes to men's groups where they've all been separated from their family, yeah. and he offers to mentor people. Yeah, yeah no, that's right. I can get your family back together. Now, first, you'll need a wig. Yeah, he visits he visits him at the uh, men's thing and and pins a a, a a a flower to his lapel and says, "Find me at the highest mountain." You know. <laughs> Um, you know, so I was on YouTube and I was in a bit of a Weird Al Yankovic uh, rabbit hole where I was mm-hmm. watching all these videos. Yeah. What occurred to me is 
you could not have a weirdo Yankovic today. I mean, the thing about him was, you know, a music video would come out and he yep. would parody it and you know, would parody the song. Yeah. But that happens within 15 seconds on the internet now. A song comes out and then there's a thousand parodies within two seconds. Right. Like he snuck in there by the skin of his teeth. Like he made his fortune and his career. Like, you know how you say, I have all the skills of the internet uh, that were replaced by the internet? That was Widow Yankovic, but he made it in the front door. Right. That is a good point. He was, well, he was just like a, a jet setter, a trendsetter, a, like, you know. What do you mean? Jet well, setter, I mean. Like, for example, I think if, like, uh, Dorothy Parker or Mark Twain or Oscar Wilde were around right now, like, they'd be great at Twitter, but because everyone tweets so much all the fucking time, who's going to remember? Like, I'm sure that people have said things that are as interesting as any of those people on Twitter, but no one's remembering them and writing them down in a book or putting them on a fucking calendar or whatever. Like, so, you know, you can have, there can be a good time for you. And, you go, and you're going to... And also, like, the, I think the era the of... The spirit of, you know, Weird Al lives on through the internet. Though. Definitely. But that idea of here is something that, you know, because this is back in the days when there's only a few TV channels. So if Michael Jackson released a music video or a yeah. song, everyone would know it. So if you parodied it, everyone would get the joke. Right. But at the same time, like, uh, you now know... Now that joke has become so obscure. Like, you get memes based on, like, you know, Sad Batman... And that's not going to appeal to everyone, you know what I mean? Like, it's just that we are so plugged into a zillion different things right now. Yeah, but the advantage of the modern day is, like, for example, with YouTube or whatever, you can actually watch the original, then watch the parody, like, yeah. right there at your access. Yeah, yeah. Like, and you know what? You look at songs like Gangnam Style or, like, you know, those sort of big hit songs, that they do get, like, 80 million views or whatever worldwide. So if you do a parody... Yeah, 800, of, 800 million, I think, more. Well, Gangnam yeah, Style. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I mean, I just... I like, I mean, a parody of it. Like, no, but, yeah, but like, I, I was... Um, actually, I was more talking about, in general, like, a hit song yeah, yeah like take Gangnam Style out because that's a whole different like level but like a hit song that came out will get like 60 or 80 million views now so yeah. like you know being able to do a parody of that it yeah. makes sense but I but I guess the idea is now like Weird Al had a monopoly because there was no one else like nowadays you know Miley Cyrus releases Wrecking Ball and there'll be a thousand you know um, parodies of that but there's also you know, parodies of Game of Thrones or Mad Men or whatever is popular at the moment. So I don't think like it has the reach, whereas he just said, I have the one access oh, right, yeah. to this. I'm mostly doing the parodies. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, have we got someone doing parodies? Yeah, Weird Al's got it all covered. Maybe like you'd get a sketch comedy show. Yeah. That would probably be the only rival to a Weird Al. Right. Weird Al would be like, you know, a comedy company or, you know, America SNL or something like that. But yeah. that was... I Because I used to love the parody stuff. That was like my when I was a little watching Comedy Company or Fast Forward. That was my favourite stuff. Do you remember, like, Fast Forward? I can't remember. Who's the guy? Knight? Who's the director? Is it... Uh, M. Night Shyamalan? Yeah, yeah. No, no, Night Shyamalan. Anyway, one of the producers or directors, he got so good... Andrew Knight. Andrew Knight. He got so good at parodying commercials and stuff, because a lot of what they would do on Fast Forward is parodies of commercials, that he started getting offers from actual production companies and advertising agencies because he was recreating the look and the feel of their ads, but on, you know, like a... On a, a budget, yeah. Budget, yeah and also right. making it funny. So, yeah. like, the skill set was, like, totally there. But I don't know if he ever... I mean, he probably made enough money off Fast Did, Do you think that anyone who's ever released an original song saw the Weird Al version and just went, oh, fuck, that's better? <laughs> like, well, you know what I mean? Like, ah, oh, Michael Jackson's like, oh, eat it, it should is, have been about eat food. It is heaps better yeah. than beat it. Well, there's that story about um, uh, when he got permission from Nirvana to do "Smells Like Nirvana." Yeah, he approached Kurt Cobain, and Kurt Cobain was all for it, and he said, "Is it going to be about food?" 
<laughs> I think that um, uh, White and Nerdy is uh, a better song than Riding Dirty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's my one. I yeah. think I'd be happy. Pretty to... fly for a rabbi. <laughs> I mean, he's still got it. Is, he does. Is my point. He's still got it. He, um, it was, I went saw him live once. I was going to say, have you seen him live? Yep, went saw him live at the end more. Was it fact. a poker set, the whole thing? Or does he just, does he tell jokes? No, no, no. There's like videos in between him sort of getting changed and stuff to, right. you know, do his bits and pieces, play with a big live band and stuff. It was yeah. good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, that's a fucking, that's, imagine that, that. That's how you carved out your career. The accordion playing nerdy guy who does like song parodies. Right. I mean, there's no one else really. Weirdo Yankovic is the king, right? Yeah, but I mean, else? here's the thing. If, you, if you're if you born with a name like Weird Al, you've got to, <laughs> you've got to do something. But I was actually, uh, someone posted- You can't be Weird Al and work at a bank. Something, Hi, my name is Weird Al. Some, in the same vein, some guy posted a thing on Facebook the other day. It's a link to the Today Show in Australia. Uh-huh. And it was this impressionist and it was this American guy and they were interviewing him and I'm like, fucking who cares? Like, I've seen a zillion YouTube videos of impressions, like tons and tons. I, I couldn't, but they, this guy was out doing a show where he was just going to do impressions for like, you know, an hour. It's like, I, I thought we've moved beyond that. Now that there's such access to it, you can't base an entire show around impersonating people, can you? Yeah, I think you can. I think people do. I think people enjoy impersonations. Like so if someone can do a show? good... Yeah, I think there's a certain audience for... Like, well, I suppose Vegas fucking does whole right like Im- uh, impressions. Well, I, mean, I can't understand anyone wanting to go to that. Would you ever go to like, just say there was a Pixies or a Cure, like cover band that do the whole makeup and you know they can play note perfect? Would you be interested in going to see it? Yeah, yeah, I think I would because you know what the thing is they they'll play all the hits. But I'm not even. They won't be like you're not going to go and see the Cure cover band, and they're going to play fucking ten fifteen on a Saturday night seventeen times in a row because they're yeah, feeling in an arty mood. They're going to fucking belt out Friday. I'm in but love. I don't even like going to see you know <laughs> bands like you know you wouldn't go and see Paul McCartney because it's not the Beatles, or you see Axl Rose and you know the New Guns and Roses because yep. like Axl does all the Guns and Roses songs, but yep. it's awful. It's not right. his band. It's not, you know, I've seen the original lineup and I've seen the new lineup and it's not the same thing. So why would I go see a bunch of people dressing up and pretending to be? Well, I mean, I just for fun. Like, I'm not saying that it would be the same as going to see the real thing, but I'm actually more likely, I reckon, to go and see like a tribute band than I would be to go and see a patched up band. Like, as yeah, in, yeah, like, yeah. you know, Guns N' Roses. Like, yeah. the Guns N' Roses. Like, I'm like, ah, fuck that. But if someone was doing like a Guns N' Roses show. Yeah. Like I mean, and again, I would expect you know, the, I, I, I would expect the Guns N' Roses show to start on time. Yeah. I wouldn't want it to be a full tribute yeah. where like you go to see them in like an hour and a half. They haven't come on stage, and then the lead singer has a fight halfway through. And, like, <laughs> yeah, they actually recreate. He yeah. fires the you rest see of the, the, band. the the Brian Jonestown massacre experience, <laughs> and it's just a, a show of two minutes of music yeah, and forty five minutes three of arguing. Songs <laughs> in like an hour and a half. You're like, oh my god, this is exactly yeah. like the band. Yeah, the Gunners show. Axel turns up an hour and a half late. There's a riot. <laughs> Go to the Australian Augie March experience and like you love their music, but the but lead singer starts arguing with the tech about the sound from the first fucking song. Ruins the whole night for everybody. I don't know if they do this in the Vegas, but what I would love to see is just say 
you do a super concert uh-huh. with all the different impersonators from the different areas. So you've got Elvis alongside Madonna, alongside Oh, the John. best concert of all time. The greatest, all, the greatest show of all time. Yeah, and have them all come out. All perform. Everyone and, and, doing... And join in on each other's songs. So you get Elvis singing Welcome to the Jungle. You get like Fake Kiss doing fucking oh Frank God. Sinatra. You get Frank Sinatra singing Like a Virgin. You know, mix it all up. I'd go see the that. The greatest show of all time. Do you think they do the that? The greatest show on earth. That's a great idea for a show. It's a great idea. You get... Because like... the. The Impressionists by it's like themselves. Heaven. This is oh Heaven's God. concert. It's Heaven's concert. Although Madonna's still alive and there's a few people who are still alive. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, people, they're booked in. Some people, yeah. <laughs> They've got reservations. Right. Well, the Heaven's too religious, though. Let's like, it's, you know. Well, Nirvana. It's Nirvana. Ah. Yeah, and we get Nirvana. And Kurt Cobain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great, that's a great gig. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think that would Copyright be a great idea. People could go and see that though. If if someone said they're doing this like thing where they've got all the best like impressionists of the world and they're like doing this massive medley, as so if it's get, like it's like you're seeing the greatest performers of all time at their prime working with each yeah, other. Yeah, it's it's like you go to the recording session for Live Aid or right. uh, uh, He'll We Are the World. Except it's across all eras. Yeah. That's That'd a great awesome. idea. And they, should, they shouldn't stop like just at the modern era. Like I would love to say, like, you know, it's the start of um uh What's what's a good, although you know what what's do. a good song that starts on the piano like that has a big piano opening. Imagine John Imagine Lennon. by John Lennon and then it just peels back and it's not John Lennon it's like Mozart. Or yeah, yeah. Or like oh, so basically, what we're doing it's the Bill and Ted's experience. Yes, we've taken our phone booth through time. Oh, and that's grabbed, right. Like the most iconic yeah. musicians from every era, every era, and we put them together. And, we bring out, and or if we take the bogus journey idea, we also go yeah. into the future in and the get future. the greatest guitarist from the future who's yeah. like Quanzak, you know, right? From our Centauri 4 you know but I love that idea of getting like the greatest music like the greatest super band of all time like yeah Co- to- yeah copyright toe flop that's, that's a really good that? idea do we have any listeners in Vegas or oh, just someone who wants to finance it where are the idea- ideas guys yeah but here's the thing we don't leave our chest if field. this is left to us it's never going to happen. But if someone else wants to like facilitate it, if there's someone out there in Vegas, Mick Doohan, yeah, Mick Doohan, you know the former Australian uh, motorbike Doohan. champion. He I've owns been to Mick Doohan's apartment. He owns a lot of. Uh, I told you my Mick nightclubs in uh, Vegas. He could maybe hook us up. Are you allowed to tell the Mick Doohan story? Yeah, yeah. Uh, should I tell you and then you tell me if I can tell it? Okay, I'll cut it out if uh, uh, if we need to. Uh, so uh, I was in Vegas and uh-huh. a friend of mine knows one of Mick Doohan's business partners for uh-huh. one of his clubs. And so when we left the club, Mick said, come back to... Hey, Mick said, hey, what are you doing? That's what he always <laughs> says. That's his line. He said, I come back to my apartment. We're having like a party yep. back there. And it was literally like something out of Entourage. Massive, an apartment bigger than most houses yep. I've been to, overlooking the strip, glass everywhere. Yeah. And he's doing well. It, yeah, he was doing well. It is filled with, it was filled with like, it's like the background cast in Entourage, just lots of girls, maybe dancers, yep. p- potentially dancers. Let's just uh-huh. say they were dancers. Yeah, it was Vegas. Um, but Mick kind of kept to himself. He just was in the corner. Yeah. And it was kind of, I don't want to say it was sad, but he didn't seem to be, he seemed to be trapped in some kind of like glass case where, he wasn't really interacting with him, but he would occasionally a girl would walk past and he'd like t- try and grab her hand or something yeah. like that. And none of the girls were really giving him any attention. It was that's because of, he says, "How you doing? How you doing?" <laughs> um, yeah, it was kind of strange. It uh-huh. was. It was. He seemed to have everything. Yeah. At the same time, he had nothing. He had nothing. But uh, Gemma made me leave because me and my mate were playing pool with these two dancers, uh-huh. and uh, to distract me from taking my shot, one of them put her breasts. <laughs> 
over the hole. Mm, yeah. And Jamie said, "We're going." I said, "Oh, yep, I'll be, uh, I'll be down in half an hour." Yeah, just, in fact, maybe I won't be back at all. Yeah. No, I didn't get to stay. So I've just got to put this ball in the pocket. <laughs> oh, hang on, I'm not. I'm, where's my cue? <laughs> That's not my cue. Uh, <laughs> Oh well, there you go. Yeah, but he yeah. owns. Yeah, apparently he owns. Yeah, quite so a few so Mick, um, if you want to get in on this, Mick, you looked a bit sad that night. Yeah. You want a passion Maybe project? Needs, yeah, passion project. What if you had all the greatest entertainers of all time together at last? And then at the end, Mick can ride his motorbike like jump, or we line all <laughs> the performers up, and he can jump them like Evil Knievel. It's Vegas, dude. We have to go out big. We get him to play Evil Knievel. Yeah. This is the, and this oh, is the yeah, closing right. thing. Because Evil Knievel released a single. Right. So he can come out and do a duet with duet. Like, uh, Boy George. Or just like, <laughs> yeah, jump over the top of them all. Yeah. Because they're replaceable. Because, you know, let, let's be honest. They're in, you know, but it'd be great if we got some real people yeah. auditioning as well, mixed in. That would be yeah, the great yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, some alive people performing with their idols and their heroes. Mick doing, I, I might be into it. Yeah. I mean, if you were the king of Vegas... Yep. And, you know, you'd seen and done everything. This is something that hasn't been done before, right? Well, I mean, who fucking knows if it's been done before, but I've never heard of it. And I well, not a, if... no one has had Mick Dorn jumping him through a ring of fire. <laughs> be amazing if all this had happened, <laughs> including that bit. Yeah. And the weird thing is they actually finished with Mick Dorn dressed as Evil Knievel going through a ring of fire, as you described it. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um so how do we make it happen? <laughs> I don't know. I Is this don't... another one of those dope up ideas? I'd that... like to have a show on Vegas, in Vegas. Like, I, I kind of like that idea of like, because when I'm in the town for a festival, I'm not saying in Vegas in particular, but that idea of like spending nine months somewhere where like every night you go out and you just do the show and then you like have mm. a life around that. I think working in Vegas would be okay. If you had a purpose. Yeah. The problem for me with Vegas is when you're just there as a, like to play, it's, it's disorientating. It's such a, it just has, you know, you lose track of time. Right. And well, it's a giant, it's a giant casino. Yeah. So they don't want you to know what time it is. Yeah. There's no clocks. There's no natural lighting. You yeah. Know, but if you bet, if you were doing a show, then you're kept to a routine. I think it'd be much more tolerable. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're still performing to audiences who are in Vegas that, you know. Don't really care. That don't really care about the comedy. Yeah, yeah. Like, it'd be better for somewhere that wasn't. like. So that's what I love about Melbourne Comedy Festivals. Like, every night you just go into your show, you're in the one place for like a whole month. It's mm. really... It's really fun. And I kind of like I kind of like the idea. When I was doing uh, Gruen a few years ago, I did like eight weeks at the Sydney Comedy Store where I was just doing four nights a week or five nights a week. And it was great. Go and do my show for an hour a night and then just go home and have my normal life. I was, I was pretty into the idea. Yeah. As to opposed to my usual fucking pack my suitcase and go on the road like some weird traveling salesman. Yeah. I guess that it would be the thing for you actually being in the one place for a consistent amount of time. Yeah. Is like a luxury. It is. So like yeah. So anyway, what I'm saying is, do you ever listen to that uh, John? This Paul? could be our um, this could be our Book of Mormon. What? Like the, this uh, this oh, show? The, the, uh, this the like you know, in the same way as like the Southmark guys also like wrote the Book of Mormon. This could be our Book of Mormon. Uh, I watched. Uh, I found. Uh, you, have you listened to Topher? Yeah, I listened to Topher. Here's the weirdest thing. You might not know this. They also produce the greatest <laughs> Vegas show of all time. The one with Mick Doon jumping through the fiery ring at the Just end? Just as Evil Knievel. Yes. That was them. They came <laughs> on with that. Elvis sang with Kirk Cobain. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. With a light child, it's less dangerous. <laughs> um, uh, I watched that South Park yeah. uh, doco, the one you were talking about. It's yeah. called Six Minutes to Air. 
Oh, you watched it already? I found it last night. So, yeah. hang on, you watched it in between. Uh, did we talk? I don't know if we talked about it in the last, the last episode, episode. Last episode, but in between. Yeah, okay, that's great. Yeah, yeah. One well, day. I only, so, I only found. I only found. It's what was it called? Six. Six minutes to air. Six minute, minutes. Minutes. Air. Six minutes to air. Well, I thought it was about days. So it was six minutes to air, was it? Six, six days to air. Was it six days to air? Yeah. They don't make that whole show in six <laughs> minutes, do they? I'm an idiot. That is, a- is there a film called Six Minutes? Oh, no, 30 Seconds to Mars. So right. Okay. You're, thinking about, you're thinking about 60 Minutes. Yeah, sorry. You also watched 60 Minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, six days to air. Uh, yeah. But right. it was made in 2012. Yeah. But it's incredible. Like, um, just the... The sheer kind of uh, 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 terror that they work in, you know, and that's pretty much how they describe it. Like, and you can see the anxiety in them physically, like the the kind of adrenaline and fear and stuff. But it's so funny, like this, because I know the episode that the the episode they show is the i the iPad one, where it's like a human centipede. Yes. Piss take. That's right. And I've seen that episode. I remember watching it going, oh my God, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Right. And it is one of those episodes that has become quite iconic. Cultish, yeah. has it? Yeah. And so the the satisfying thing though is watching them because it's the scenes where like they come up with the idea of the human centipede and then the animators start drawing it all up and they start watching little clips and they're laughing so hard. Like to see Trey right. laughing like he's like bent over the desk laughing. It's like it's so satisfying because oh, no. it's nice to know that they enjoy making it as much as I enjoy watching it cuz I was like even watching it last night I was uh, watching it on my iPad in bed like the irony was you know that was pissing myself watching him piss himself and then when they go in they record the voices for it and it's right like he's doing the japanese guy who has to because uh uh kyle gets his mouth sewn to the bum of a japanese guy in human centipede style and it's this joke where they put food in front of the japanese guy and kyle's like don't eat don't eat i'm strapped to your back it's like oh kyle i'm so hungry should i choose the uh, pasta or cuttlefish and asparagus <laughs> he starts eating it and so they cut to the recording studio with uh, with um, a tray doing the voice of the Japanese guy going, oh, sorry, Kyle, so hungry, must eat. And it's like, they get to do this for a living. For a living. And even... It looks like so much fun. Trey says, the funny thing is, we're both in our mid-40s. We've yeah. just come back from New York where, where our play has been nominated for 12 Tonys, which yeah. is great. And we're doing a joke about a guy pulling in another guy's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> like, great life. Well amazing. done. You should be able to do all those things though. You should be able to do high level satire and low level satire. I mean, it's fun, but it d- did look fun. It just made me go, I would love to but you'd have once to, in my life work in an environment like you, that. The trade off though, because it's funny that you watched it and thought that looked fun because I watched it and thought that looks fucking stressful. Right. Because I had my producer hat on and I'm like, oh my God, like they don't even... To, to see, their, I feel like that to I, see their executive producer right. on the phone with standards and practices saying, "Yeah, well, the Japanese guy shits in the little boy's mouth, oh, that but was you so don't see, so. or you see little, you may see some fecal matter." No, like, and knowing that she has to do that, like every week, every for week, seven weeks. Uh, we just got past the note uh, about toasted sandwich. Would you like a toasted sandwich? Oh no, I'm okay. Thank you. Sorry. I would like a toasted sandwich, please. That Thanks. would be great. Um, yeah, to know that she has to do that like every week, like I was just like, oh god, because what those guys come up with, like she would have to be called lawyers, standards right. and practice, and but the fact of the matter is it gets through. Like some of the stuff that gets through is astounding. I don't know if it's like the brilliance of the animation being so crude. If it was more sophisticated animation, I think it's part of it. Couldn't show that, right? Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right, and. I, but no, I was like, I was really excited by the idea. I think that I would be good in that sort of environment. Like, 
you know when you sometimes know that, like what you'd be good at and what you wouldn't be good at? Like one of the things that I was always a bit, like I would have loved to be, particularly in the US, mm. it's probably not something that I will do mm. because it doesn't really suit the other things I want to do. But the idea of just like having a year writing on a show, like, you know, like being in a writer's room, mm. tossing around ideas, being part of that creative process is something that I find kind of really exciting and fascinating. Yeah, I like that. I occasionally will sit in the writer's room at work and it's incredible like how they write an episode of that show. They literally will write out five episodes, so weeks worth of shows, they'll plot it out in two days. Yeah. And they have a list of like all the cast, all the locations, so they have to sort of plot it out with all the restrictions that apply to both. Right. And also don't try and think of stories that haven't been done a hundred times before in 25 year history. Like sometimes I think it's remarkable we even get a show to air, like considering how quickly they have to work. But there was something quite exciting about sitting in there and people. They've had just, a big week, and you're like, "Hang on, this my character's name is like Paul, written in, in pencil, <laughs> yeah. and apparently I'm called Bobby and I'm a girl." <laughs> yeah. Hang on, this is you just scratched out a name and put mine in. This is ridiculous. Um, but I know what you mean. Like, and any time I've written with someone else, it is kind of it's exciting to have that energy going, which I kind of feel is like what I like about. Tofop is oh no well that's what I kind of think is like when you around. have those ideas where you can kind of go let's do this and maybe we could do this and maybe we could do it this way yeah. like I do like I do find that like a very creative and fun like we've come up with ideas on this that I actually would like to you know pursue or see you know made into things like I'm never going to mm. but you know it is kind of one of those things where you're like oh no I find that really creative I like that idea of like when I watched Bill Hader just sitting in there, like, yeah. you know, and I was like, that, that's who I want to be. Yeah. I just want to be the guy the in there laughing. <laughs> laughing and having fun and being encouraging and throwing in some ideas. Yeah. Like that's... There was a really telling actually bit. Um, and then I would just throw down my pen at the end of meetings and go, Hader's going to hate. <laughs> that's my Bill Hader catchphrase if I'm Bill Hader. Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, not at all. There was one telling I would bit. say it so many times that I'd be like, Hader's going to hate. <laughs> Where no one likes you, Bill. Matt. Uh, the, Matt Stone, yeah, the other guy, Matt Stone, he's throwing around ideas in the writer's room and he, because they, they literally just sit there and say, what have you seen? What have you thought about? Right. You know, that's my favorite thing. Like the idea of taking in, like, you know, your world. And yeah. that's what I liked about the US office as well. Like it was very much of that, if you were a fan of that show, like when a wedding video would go big and viral on the thing, they'd find a really clever way of incorporating Because that's like, these are people who work in an office mm. and are, watching YouTube and, yeah. uh, you know, taking part in, like, the world. And I loved that there was a nice... They had a place where they could satirise those things in well, a much more gentle way than South Park does. Well, but. It, the great thing about that is you're acknowledging the world that we live in, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, these are the, all the things that we know. You risk dating the material by doing that. Well, of course you do. Yeah, that's but right. But I think it's a great leveller, you know? It's like, oh, these people understand the same things I understand. Like, they see this news and, you know, they hear the stories or, or whatever that I see, which is what I can South Park does really well and you know the fact that they keep it so current you know within what six months of an event happening they'll do a show about it um well i think there is something about comedy as well that i, I i've been thinking about more and more recently is that idea of because i always thought that topicality really does date stuff yeah. but now i kind of realize i think that most comedy ages badly do you know what i mean like it's one of those things that because trends and styles and things change so rapidly that there i mean there are still things from 30 yeah. 40 years ago but they're mostly they're the really great things they're not like it's not like there's a consistent level of you know well, joe rogan often talks about this in his podcast where you know, he loves Lenny Bruce. Right, but, but it's not if he funny listens to it, by yeah, modern day You don't laugh. Standards. You can appreciate what it was at the time and how it would have been kind of groundbreaking, but it's a product of its time, you know? Right. And I think even as much as you love Monty Python and how influential they are, 
you know, compared to what it's become now with right. South Park, Seth MacFarlane, all those kind of people have taken the same kind of spirit, they're much edgier. And the same happened with The Simpsons. Right. Like, The Simpsons was the edgiest thing, you know, going around. And then South Park happened. And then Family Guy, you know, sort of, in terms of just pushing that kind of, uh, you know, uh, that kind of humor has gone even further. I think, um, what's her name? Marie Cardi wrote this really f- interesting article about she was moving from The Simpsons to Family Guy mm-hmm. and she felt bad. She said that, like, she just kind of, you know, she, like you, had this kind of attachment to The Simpsons, but she said, like, the risks that Family Guy were taking with their jokes now and, you know, even if you don't, whatever you think of the writing, but just the the jokes were far riskier. It made her feel like her Simpson was like the daggy uncle, you know, the, or the older brother. Like, at one time, it was the funniest thing on the planet. But Although, the, you were fresher the thing that, that I would say about Family Guy, because I did that for a little while as well, I was like, Family Guy's pretty sharp and funny. and But I... Th- after a while, I kind of like I found you get my, dulled by. Yeah, way. I get dulled by it. And whereas like South Park, I've really kind of come back to like it was never my necessary, and I kind of the one that stuck with me the longest. I'm m- more fascinated by. Yeah, now. Have you seen the South Park episode, the the wars, the cartoon wars, where they take the piss out? Oh of yeah, I've seen that. It's very funny. Really interesting. And those guys just don't give a fuck. They like don't give Trey. a fuck. That you know that bit in the. I don't want to spoil the doco, but. They, you might remember they went to the Oscars when they were nominated for the movie and they went dressed like Gwyneth Paltrow and Jennifer Lopez. Yep. So they tell in the documentary how they took acid. Acid. Before they, the, went, to before the they went to the Oscars. And then just dressed up. They're funny. Like, I loved that story so hard. So funny. I was like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> I want to take acid and go to the Oscars. It's so funny. But they just honestly don't give a fuck. And I've heard Zach Galifianakis interviewed and he kind of says the same thing. His attitude is... I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah. you know, he talked about the first TV gig he got, some Eliza Dushku TV show, and he hated it and used to tease her and make fun of her. And people were like, don't do that. Like, she's the star of the show. You won't get invited back for a second series. Yeah. It's like, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I'm not, I'm I literally do this. don't I, care. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I was, yeah. And it was Chris Hardwick interviewing him. Chris Hardwick said, oh my God, like, I, I couldn't do that. If I did that, you know, if I, that was the attitude I'd have, then people would tell me to fuck off. And, I kind of feel the same way. Like I hear stories of actors who go in there and like act like this. I don't give a fuck, and and they keep getting work. I think if I did that, people are like, hey, asshole, we don't want to work with you. Get out. Yeah, I've always thought that I've never been quite talented enough to be a pain in the ass. Yeah, you know, but but there is certainly an element of like you have. There is great power in I've saying a, no. Yeah, I, I I had a lot of meetings recently. I won't go into too much of the details about it, but um, it was like one of those things where if you have a like position that you are just putting for straight forward with somebody like, and you are willing to walk away from something like, it's amazing how powerful that is to yeah. other people. Like if you have that like attitude, but it's very hard to pull off mm. and I don't think you want to try it too many times. No. Although some people, you know, some people are nightmares. But I think get some people forever, just, so. I think some, some people are just some good enough. They can be terrible. Genuinely. Yeah. Don't know how to give a fuck. Right. Oh, in comedy. I mean, there's a myriad of people throughout the history of comedy who are terrible at everything, who still had great careers. I think that's a good thing. It's like a t-shirt. I genuinely don't know how to give a fuck. Right. (laughs) It's not like I don't want to. I literally can't process. When I, when I, when a lot of my friends started getting into comedy and, you know, um, uh, you know, Gemma used to, uh, was married to a comedian stuff. And she used to, I had this tolerance for who, what I would describe as difficult people. Like right. she had these friends right. who were comedians or performers, or whatever that I'd meet them. And I'm like fucking rude or just like a pain or just whiny or whatever. And Gemma would Insecure. always, 
Gemma would, but Gemma would always defend them by saying, "Oh, but you know, they're an artist, or they're the artist. this or the other." Yeah, and I used to say, "Fuck that!" Like being an artist doesn't entitle you to be a, like to be rude. Oh. But then, as I sort of got to know more and more of these people, I realised that um, I could see her point, which is that these are not people who can interact no, no, normally no. a lot of the time. Yeah, we're circus and- folk. Part of the reason that we all ran away to join the circus was that we knew that if you put us in a real life environment, we'd be terrible. Yeah, it? but that and that is the kind of um, I'd say that's not just for comedians; it's for a lot of performers. Right. You know that they have something that they they feel out like outsiders or outcasts. You know they they're normally like very sort of sensitively attuned or whatever. And it's funny because I we've talked about this on philosophy. I don't necessarily see myself as uh, you know, um, like an artist, like, you know, I, 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 I have a burning need to say or do something, no. but it's better than a real job you know? right. and, I, and I really enjoy it. Yeah. Like, I mean, that was always my favorite and that doesn't devalue it by the way. Like, I think there's something lovely in that. My favorite quote to use when people ask, you know, why did you do comedy? Which is not actually true, uh, but you know, people, why are you doing so much stand up or whatever? It's like, well, you know, like I have a hideous mortgage and I have no other skills. Yeah. But like Terry Pratchett always used to say, like, he's one of the most inventive people of all time. That when they said, why, why do you like writing? He said, it's indoor work with no heavy lifting. <laughs> like, like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. Like, like, there's a part of it where I want to express ideas and do stuff, and there's part of it that, like, you know, but you do- it's Wednesday morning and it's like 11:30, and we're talking shit on some couches, and <laughs> someone's going to bring me a toasted sandwich in a minute. Like, you're winning, and I, yeah, right. But it, but you do when once you if you have that kind of blue collar mentality, you then do also appreciate people who just naturally, you know, like just their artists, you know, everything that they do is for, like, I know a lot of people give Lady Gaga shit, but I genuinely think she believes that every waking moment right. of her life is an opportunity for her to do something as and like yeah, a art it, project. And it of is some terribly kind. self-indulgent and it has no practical application, but you know what? Yeah. Fuck it. But like, you know, I mean, I, that's kind of making some sort of statement. I'm not like anti uh, Gaga in that <laughs> in that yeah. regard. Gaga Shabor. Yeah, no, I'm not anti her. What about uh, what do you think of Iggy Azalea? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I she's uh, an Australian, by the way. Iggy Australia. Yeah, there's a bit of a thing happening at the moment where Iggy Azalea is re- getting really popular in the states. Yeah, and she's not really well known in Australia. Mm, no, because she's a she's a a, a, a white rapper who yep. sounds like Lil Kim. Yeah, like if you heard her without seeing her, you'd think it was Lil Kim. Yeah, and I think there is this kind of unspoken awkwardness amongst this Aussie from Mullumbimby. Well, the Americans seem to be much more accepting of her. Rapping like an American, yeah, like an American rapper. Australians, uh, a lot of Australians feel very uncomfortable. I think with uh, just just how American she sounds. Yeah, I mean, we used to. Well, kind not of, just how American, but how, but how Southern yeah, American. Yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, that she sounds. But I don't know. I mean, the bands for years have in Australia recorded with American accents, and we've even had rappers like rap with American. Well, it's accents. interesting with the rap thing because, like, every like, I think when people would say they don't like Australian hip hop, it's not the quality of hip hop. I think <laughs> sometimes people just don't like the accent. They don't yeah. like they don't like hear people rapping about you know. I think I prefer Australian hip hop uh, with Australian accents. Like if it's, yeah, me too. If, if they're putting it on, it sort of just weirds me out a bit. But it's a double standard because with rock and roll, if people are rolling their eyes and stuff, like I don't mind at all. Um, but yeah, I don't mind her. Like, I think it's, I, I find her story completely fascinating. Like leaving home when she was sixteen and moving to Florida, and like just how that happens—that someone from like a small central coast town can 
somehow be. I feel like her family might have been in the arts. She was certainly from that but arts still, community. Sixteen years old. Oh, you know, it's a fascinating country. thing. And like you know, someone to go over there and to like have a get dream respect. and to like get respect in that community and also like have success now yeah. I mean you know it's probably a great story it's like I mean I look at Sia for example who's like having such great success now like mm. you know and I I love it because little bloody Sia uh, my bloody little mate from Adelaide I saw her on Ellen the other day you know she's on with, Ellen yeah with Ellen like because her, her latest song is this really big hit and she's yeah, been right. writing songs for all these like you know yeah, big yeah. American artists and stuff and but Sia doesn't like to perform live, so she's on the Ellen show and she's got like this dance like thing happening because she's got this popular film clip at the moment. Mm. So she's got this person dancing and Sia's got her back to the audience and she's in this booth in the corner <laughs> singing the song live, not showing her face on Ellen. And I'm like, I know that person. person. I know that person not showing their face, yeah. singing with their back on Ellen. Like she's just a mate of mine from Adelaide and she's doing this like incredibly yeah. amazing stuff I think it's great well I'm not mates with Iggy Azalea Greg Barrett put a question out on Twitter asking <laughs> what Australians what's your what's your feeling on Iggy Azalea I didn't know what he was getting at right but I'm wondering if I don't hear too many Australians going Iggy 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 oi 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 <laughs> I like when Brodie Dale came out and because, you know, Brodie Dale's an Australian and mm. when she toured with Nine Inch Nails and uh, Queens of the Stone Age because she's married, married to Josh, Josh. Homme. Yeah. Um, she was a mo- She sings an American accent, yeah. but she lives over there. But she... She hasn't become She's fantastic. Now, like, she? she's really good. It's yeah. a pity that she, like, has spent so much time away from music because she's... Like, she's a mum though, right? Yeah. And yeah. there's not much in Australia though. That, there's not many Australian women who make music like she makes music. Yeah, it's true. Actually. Like it's proper old school, just like, Punk. you know, punky, rock and roll She's got a great voice. She's got a fantastic voice. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a lot of great Australian women making music, but they all kind of, a lot of them who've had success are kind of making that more sort of whimsical, modern sort of. That's true, like, I you guess. Know, there's not yeah, they've all been kind of Sarah Blasco-y yeah. type, you know. And they all have that same... Is that weird enunciation that's kind of come in, like Lord and Sarah yep. Blasco? Because I don't, uh, um, Meg, uh, Missy Higgins, because I don't know anyone who talks like that. But they, ha- it's just a, I can't even describe it. I won't even try and impersonate no. it. But it does kind of drive me mental. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's this weird lilting kind yeah. of, I don't know what it is, but it got very popular amongst. Um, uh, campfire guitarist, female guitarist. Yeah. Like you go to a party and some girl starts busting out some Sarah Blasco. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. Uh, what, what are the, the, the brother and sister? The... Um, John, the, the, the um... Oh, God, what are their names again? The, I should, I the should plain, know this. The plain couple. <laughs> what are they called? He's a hippie and she's a... No, no, hang on. Uh, Angus and Julia <laughs> Stone. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> They're nice people. Uh... Anyway, I'm gonna hang on. Angus and Julia Stone. Yes, yes, that's them. That's them. Yeah, that, a lot of that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, folk, well, folk came back, didn't yeah. it, in a big way. Oh no, it is back. Mumford but, and Sons, and yeah. Can you imagine like being the record, the guy who, like the guy who signed them, and then you know tried to pitch them to the record company, and how cynical people would have been. Like it's pretty amazing when you consider like how big they've become, considering no one would have picked the folk revolution. It's such a yeah. It's just. Like there would have been t- like three years ago, you could have been like in that band and just been in one of those bands where people are like, "Why are they? Why are they in this band? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what are they doing? Yeah. Our kids are wasting their lives." And then suddenly, everyone's got a fucking ukulele. Yeah, and like Mumford's and Sons are the biggest band in the well, world. Well, what I think is hilarious is all the kind of like band likes now that have come out. And it's like, okay, if we've got a band. Let's shoot them in a nice sepia tone. Put them in a couple of waistcoats. Right. Shoot them in a barn. <laughs> there we go. 
Excellent. That's folk music. But you've the uh, cynicism. Well, I guess you. But you've worked in like music film clips and making them and stuff like that. Is there like that? Is there that sort of cookie cutter approach or like this one's going for this sort of yes. deal or this look or this is what the market is or? Yeah, I mean, we we did the majority of our clips for like the major labels and stuff, and they have a set sort of game plan. You know, they always the discussion will always be, oh, we want it to be like Robbie Williams, or we want it to be like this, or be like that. And you'll send references back and forth. I mean, there's a lot of plagiarism that happens. Tribute, you know? a lot of tribute, tribute. Yeah, I mean, advertising. A lot is, of in is, the style is, of is the same. Yeah, totally. But having said that, you know, it's shorthand for saying, you know, but uh, like you'll get occasional, you get occasional sort of like a Spike Jones or Chris Cunningham, you know, Michelle Gondry who just completely turns everything on its head, but. You know, there's a set formula to a music video. What's, right? it, what's your formula? Well, you either, when you are pitching it, you're saying it's performance-based or it's narrative-based. Okay, so oh, yeah, it's, okay. Mainly, so it's either a story or it's a focus on the, the lead performance. Yeah, okay, yep. And then um, if it's narrative-based, you'll pitch the idea and you'll, and you'll you, you may sort of, even within the narrative, you say it's a clear narrative or you say it's a like symbolic narrative or it's implied narrative or whatever. So you just have to make, the formula is that, if it's a if it's a narrative that you actually start with a story and you won't cut into the performance part until you know say like fifteen seconds in, um, depending on the style of music it is like you know obviously dance music electronica it's a lot faster rock uh, and rock music is fast and then uh, sort of folk music and stuff a lot less less cuts and stuff. There's also styling is hugely important wardrobe. Um, you know the the big labels have sort of good styling budget. So they generally, you know, will go out to create a look for someone. Thank you. But, um, that was me getting my toasted sandwich. That looks good. Maybe I should have said yes. It does look good. Do you want no, part no, of mine? No, no, I'm fine. I actually okay. had breakfast not right. too long ago. Um, but yeah, like they they definitely, I mean, you think about it, they've signed an artist, right? Um, just like, and if it's a commercial artist, they're going to want to mitigate their risk as much as possible. So they have someone, what's the first thing they're going to do? Oh, he sounds a bit like, you know, James Blunt crossed with so-and-so. Um, so they're going to look at the way James Blunt was marketed and, and follow the same formula. The, one of the most interesting bits of things I learned was, um, you know, we we're making a clip for, I can't remember who it was, but the head of the record company, uh, the artist was very you know, she was a real, you know, she wanted to do something quite sort of out there and surreal and she's very influenced by like Lady Gaga and stuff. Right. And the record company said, yeah, but look at Lady Gaga's first music video. She didn't come out in a meat dress. Just Dance, her first music video, is a fairly generic, like, you know, pop clip where, but it's got elements of what she would eventually become, but it's fairly You've got to ease your way into a meat dress. <laughs> in more ways than one. You've got to have some, you've got to have some entree before exactly. you go into a full meat dress. Exactly. Or d'oeuvre dress first. Yeah. And then you can get. The you images. can imagine Lady Gaga backstage like that scene from Tropic Thunder where she's like, "Oh, you never go full meat dress." Yeah, yeah. you got to. But she, you know, and Gaga is as you know proven to be like fucking insane. So I'm sure she would have fought tooth and nail with that first music video. But they were smart because people like the song. The music sort of made the impact first, and right. there's enough kind of interest in the video clip where she looks attractive enough, and you know it looks cool enough that people would come back. But then the next clip is, you know, that's when she starts getting all fucking crazy. What happens with um, when they're doing live performance ones? You know, like when you see those film clips where someone's singing. Yeah. How does that actually work on the day? Are they miming or yeah. are they singing? You play, you know, they're miming. But having said that, you will encourage them to sing because it, like, it looks... Because it looks like miming? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the big question, 
is always if you're doing a narrative based clip and the artist is actually playing acting in the clip or playing themselves or something mm. then the debate you always have is do we want them singing in the narrative part or oh, we yeah. just keep the singing to performance part because it can look really dicky if they like see a- someone like you know making a cup of coffee as they sing their own song to themselves <laughs> you know what I mean I do know what you mean um but it was fun. I like doing music videos. I haven't done one for a while just because it's not very... I mean, we we sort of did enough to kind of pay our rent and stuff, but, you know, I mean, it's not like you're going to retire. Back, you know, maybe 20 years ago, you could make good money making music videos, but now there's next to nothing. There's no promotional budgets from record companies anymore. But that's weird, isn't it? Like, with the fact that, like, you know, so many people are watching these music videos on YouTube and stuff, you'd almost think that, like... And it'd be the time of the music video again? Well, it is, but because of YouTube, the attitude of the record companies, which are hemorrhaging money in, in the first place, are like, why do you need, you know, because filmmaking is expensive. Why do you need $50,000 to make this clip when those kids on YouTube made something for, you know, $1,200? And you can say... Because they're not professionals. Exactly. I said, yeah, you can go ahead and do that, but, you know, what you want, I mean, you want a product that's going to, you can play alongside a half a million dollar music video you should at the very least spend a tenth of that. Yeah, to you should even approximate. You shouldn't uh, just go, do you want it to look like some kids made it on YouTube? Yeah. Well, the thing is like, okay, go, you know, made all those great clips uh-huh. very cheaply, yeah. you know, but they're fucking brilliant ideas, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, they probably had quite a bit of time. They're either super like bright guys with just amazingly creative ideas or they had time to think about it, you know? You were asking us to, like, you know, pitch and shoot and deliver within two weeks. Well, you know, there's, I think there's, have you heard about the triangle of creativity? There's good, there's fast, there's cheap. And you can only ever have two at the same time. You don't get good, fast, cheap. Sorry, I'm eating my toasted sandwich. It's it okay. Hard, it was hard for me to react. <laughs> it's a good toasted sandwich. It's like uh, Turkish bread done like on the, you know, the sort of the griller sort of thing. Mm. And it's got like tomato and cheese and sort of like fresh. Like, Is that sprouts. how boring my story was? <laughs> you are literally describing what's on your plate. I just thought people like, because they could hear me eating. I thought they would like to know what it was I was eating. Yeah, it looks good. Mm. And it's uh, completely guilt free, right? Well, I mean, it's got sprouts and vegetables and shit in it. Yeah. So that's not too bad. Who right? cries for the sprout family? Not, not me. <laughs> um, I'm in an eating period. I got my photos done a couple of days ago, so it's like my I, I don't. I'm gonna have a couple of days of like you know eating whatever you want, eating whatever. Do you I watch want. what you eat? Yeah, I have to because I can't exercise as much because of my hips these days. I have to mm. be more careful about what I eat, and because I like eating <laughs> things that are terrible for me, I have to watch what I eat. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm in an eating period as well, but it's just because it's winter, and it feels like I should eat whatever I want. Right. I'm not as motivated to exercise in winter. Uh, well, I think that's pretty common, isn't it? Like, it's your body. Like, you know, your body wants you to have more, like, fat on you to keep you warm. So. Well, that's what I tell myself anyway. Yeah. <laughs> as you're at, down at the donut shop. Well, you know what I actually think it is for me? Oh, how would you feel about... Oh, go, uh, go, no, go on, because I, I want to eat more. You tell me. <laughs> okay. I, I think I, uh, I genuinely just like exercising outdoors. And when winter comes along, I'm normally driven indoors and I hate going to the gym. It's not, like, you know, my favorite thing to do. Whereas in summer, like, I will exercise just because I want to be outside in the sun, you know? When I was in Portland, um, their famous, their kind of most famous thing, well, one of their more famous things, was a place called Voodoo Donuts. 
Oh yeah. Like really, like you know, renowned. Like everyone tells you when you go to Portland, you got to try out Voodoo Donuts, mm. and they were sponsoring the festival I was playing. So oh. everywhere we went, there was just big oh. boxes of these Voodoo donuts. donuts, right? And so they're ones where it like a range of good donuts, but they have like almost another meal on top of them. Do you know what I mean? Like you know the icing and the oh, right. like, so you know that oh so much stuff on top of it. It was ridiculous. <sighs> I think you would like you would have died. What and uh, can you get can you get powdered and not glazed? Like I like powdered better than glazed. I think right, gla- but, the glazed oh, revolution has taken over. I'm not. I'm not. For no, it. they weren't really glazed. Like they were more like they had shit on top of them. Yeah, right. So it was just a donut with shit on top. Yeah, yeah. I'm down with that. I haven't really had a good donut in a while. The states is definitely the place to go for donuts. Oh no, I had a donut in Paris last year that was pretty damn good. Yeah, a French donut, surrendered donut. <laughs> um, French donut sounds like a sex act, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, that was pretty good, but that was powdered. Yeah. I just think the glazing thing, which I, I, my only, I, I blame Krispy Kreme. They seem to have brought in the glaze. Yeah, they're definitely there. the glazed people. But I just don't think you need another coat of, it's already good, the donut. You don't need to glaze it in like thick sugar. Right. So you're really just a, you, you don't really care what's on top. You're, you're more about the donut. Yeah. Itself. Yeah. The quality of the dough. Yeah. yeah. I'm a traditionalist. I mean, to be honest, and we have probably done this before, the best donuts in the world are Footscray train station. That's those hot jam donuts. They Plus, cook. you can get meth there, so um, that's, <laughs> Maybe that's why they're so good. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been up for four weeks making these donuts. <laughs> well, I've just been up for four weeks, then I made some donuts as well. I started this business. I haven't slept seriously <laughs> since January. Um, I always, yeah, South Melbourne, uh, the South Melbourne Market, South Melbourne Market. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, like it's the same, market, same kind of donut. Yeah, even ah. Oh, Cold day outside the MCG, one yeah. of those like donut vans. Yeah. Bag I, uh, of jam donuts. <laughs> when uh, I was down in Melbourne for the Good Friday appeal. Yep. And so it's a day of kind of activity where you go around and, you know, just sort of um, help raise money. It's for the Royal Children's Hospital. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I was, I went out to, they were auctioning a house for charity. And so they sent me out to the outer suburbs of Melbourne um, to this house auction. And it's probably like four or 500 people turned up. And so they wanted me and a few other kind of, you know, Channel 7 people to just sort of hang around side stage. And, and then did people come up to you and be like, do you come with the house? <laughs> so as we're sort of waiting for this every, this auction to begin, I see that there's a donut truck parked oh, across go. the road. And yep. so I say to the uh, publicist, I'm like, can I just sneak yeah, out? She's like, oh. I said, yeah. She said, you might get hassled. And I said, that's fine. fine. I'm happy I'll to talk to just, whoever. Yeah. But I'm just going to get the I'll donuts. i get some donuts. <laughs> and so they said, that's fine. So I went through and there's a few people who wanted some photographs and stuff. But I took my line, the position of the line. And uh, as I was just about to get to the front of the line, the publisher went over and said, oh, no, no, we need you now. And I'm like, oh, uh, I've been, uh, <laughs> I said, just give me, just give me. And I said, how long will it take? And the guy said, oh, just, you know, the machine's still front the last batch, like a minute. I'm like, uh, can I, and he's like, oh, I'll bring him over to you. And I'm like, are you, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, no, no charge, no charge. I'm like, oh, no, it's fine. He's like, I'll bring him over to you. I never got him. Never got him? I never got him. Oh. And I don't blame the guy. Yeah. I'm sure he got like held no, up he got- and I didn't pay for him in the yeah. end or anything, but my God, it was like, it was. That was that old school donut yeah. van to it, and it was yeah. little jam ball donuts. Yeah. I could smell them so close, so far, and I don't think I've had a donut since. Will <laughs> that was the day the donuts died after the heartache? Yeah, the donut that could have been. There was a hole in my heart, much like the hole <laughs> that should have been filled with hot jam in that donut. <laughs> I wasn't the donut king as much as the donut peasant that day. Charlie's the only person who walks by the uh, bathrooms at the Logies and there's celebrities coming out with white near their nose and he goes, is there donuts in there? <laughs> icing sugar. You've got icing sugar on your face. Who's got the donuts? Yeah. You're, you're not hiding them in the bathroom, are you? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, you really do love donuts. I if do. you ever got an electric chair, you, that'll be your final meal, right? Donuts, would it be your final meal? That would be my dessert. Yeah, can I get dessert? Oh, yeah, I suppose your final meal. Why would you just... Well, you know what, though? You know what has come a, a close second to donuts lately? Okay. Is waffles. Waffles? Yeah. Have you made... Like, you know you can make your own waffles at the at Qu- Qantas Lounge now? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. No. You know how they're making toasted sandwiches at Qantas now? Is it is it the one is it one is it one of the automated systems? Because there's at the Perth Virgin Lounge, there's an automatic pancake machine, uh-huh. which you literally just press a button and it spits out these little perfect like round pancakes. But I don't know, I'm suspect. You don't on trust it. it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's synthesized pancake. It's the start of Skynet's takeover. You know what I mean? Yes, human, this is a pancake, but it's actually some kind of mind control substance. There's something about your food coming out too quick. Yeah. But you don't see the batter going in. It literally just looks like a silver box. You yeah. press a button and like something edible comes out of it. I don't know. Call me like paranoid. Yeah, there's a, um, a burrito machine at the end of my street and it's like a hot burrito like vending machine. Street. At the end of my street in uh, oh, America. In America. That doesn't sound like an Australian thing. No, and it's, <laughs> it's the first one and it's a hot you know, burrito vending machine. Oh, unless there are little Mexican people in there. <laughs> Who are they pay- they're paying to actually make the burritos? Oh my god. Yeah. So so there's like what? There's like the concan in there that gets squirted into Oh, oh it's just pre made burritos. I assume up. it's just pre made but heated up. But either that way. Makes me want to ah. That's like getting a turd out of the vending <laughs> machine. <laughs> yeah, there's some things. There's sushi to vending machines in like Japan and stuff. Like I don't think sushi is something that I would like no, to get out of a vending raw machine. Fish either. in yeah. a vending machine doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I'm sure they're refrigerated and stuff like that, but it just doesn't seem like. Back in the, I want that shit back fresh. in the day when you ate meat, did you ever have one of those service station microwavable um, cheeseburgers or anything? Oh, back in the day. I mean, I was. You've got to you know remember. Even as I said that, I actually felt like I got heartburn. Yeah. <laughs> just thinking about eating one of those fucking things. I remember. We're fucking gross as human beings, the shit that we classify as food. There was something that I was into for a while that the thought of it now, like, and I was into it. I would look forward to this. And it was a microwavable hot chicken roll at like the 7 Eleven yeah, or yeah, server. I and like I was like twenty one, twenty two, or whatever. You're right, they're gross. And oh, and I had a lot of them, and they were gross because you if you heated them one second oh, too long, the, too. and it was all chicken, reheated chicken, and fatty, and, and it was like, and the bread would go like hard, like yeah. you know, it's like and it had that mayonnaise in there. Oh, oh what was so I thinking? No wonder I don't eat meat anymore. Fucking gross. I toast on a plane is another one. Like it always seems like a good idea when they go you know, the next morning. They're like, do you want toast? And you try that plain toast. What's plain? Something because well because they can't have a big toaster up there yeah, like cooking actually cooking toast yeah. they have they've made some way of like you know oh we've come up with a way that you can have toast on a plane and it'll taste just like toast except that it doesn't taste anything <laughs> like toast there is no way of making good like plain toast yeah, so you should yeah. never have toast on the plane just don't have it did you uh, just wait until you get off the plane and have decent toast they did that um uh, that in excess telling me at the start of the year yeah. and the thing about Mike Hutchins that I didn't know was um before he died he got punched out at a in a street in Berlin or something and he uh, it affected his sense of taste and smell and they reckon that's what contributed to his depression was because oh. he was a guy obviously liked to, like to drink and, and smell a lot smell. of things yeah. Yeah. he was a sen- sen- sensationalist yeah uh, sensationalist he was a new sensation <laughs> nice um, but yeah he apparently he couldn't taste or smell it. like that would that would that would lead to depression right if you suddenly could not taste 
or smell. it would lead you to the fact that I'm like, oh God, I used to be able to taste and smell when I masturbated. Now I have to do it with the... I don't know what happened when he died. Do you think he... Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, I thought you were talking like, about yourself then. I'm like, no, what? no, no. I just always wonder about, like, you know, in those moments, they say that you, if you, when you're about to die, that it is like you, you know... Have a moment of clarity. Like, and a, But also a moment of like... like That's why people like to be choked or like, you know, like it's, yeah, auto-erotic asphyxiation, yeah. right? So I always wonder if you were about... Like, because I would never choke myself or put myself in a risky situation that to experience that. Mm. But if, for example, I was choking anyway... Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, if you're about to die in some... Yeah, you're like, where you what are the choking, hell? Why not, right? Yeah. It would be uh, distressful for the other people in the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's okay if in your hotel room in your own will, but if you and I are out to dinner at Sean's Panorama and you fucking choke on a piece of tofu, <laughs> I don't want you to see someone's trying to do the, face. Someone's trying to do the Heimlich manoeuvre and I'm doing my own manoeuvre, <laughs> yeah. which is not improved, yeah. not approved by Dr. Heimlich in any way. Oh, my God. Sydney Confidential would love that Spotted. story. <laughs> <laughs> will Anderson, choking slash masturbating, Sean's panorama, Bondi. Choking on chicken, also choking his <laughs> chicken. <laughs> Offensive yeah. for a vegetarian. Yeah. I, I, I did go to dinner at Sean's the other night. That's the thing about being back in, like, because, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Sydney's been sort of my vague your home base for the last sort of 15 or so years. And, um, but this year, I like, I think I'm spending like three weeks total almost for the whole year, like in town. So it's, uh, while I've been back for these, like, I've, I've gone to a like, bunch of places and, and done that thing of just going, oh, this is it's the like only time. It's like you're on holiday. Yeah. It, like this, cramming as much. This in. is the only time I get to do this all year. Yeah, yeah. So I better do it. So it's good, though. It gives you an appreciation of home. Yeah, it's nice. I've been taking the dog for a walk at sunset around the harbour and stuff. What do you think of Australia? <laughs> oh, mate. Beautiful country, you guys. Got here. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, but, like, it's also, it's like one of those weeks where, like, of all the things we've talked about global warming, this has been, uh, like, for this weather. unseasonably fucking it, like it's so warm. Been May. So beautiful May, like it's just been twenty five degrees every sunny. day. People at the beach, it's just perfect weather. Yeah, yeah, it's been those greenies. Seeing they complain, environmentalists. Right. Perfect weather, yeah, perfect weather, mate. <laughs> for three weeks when it shouldn't be perfect weather. Uh, by the way, the sea levels have risen a foot this week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't live that close to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> I still got another ten or fifteen years. <laughs> I got 10 years where this property will increase in value and then five will go downhill very yeah. quickly. I live in Alice Springs, which is going to be waterfront property in about 20 years. That's Somebody did tell me that like my place is too close to the ocean, but I don't think in my it lifetime is. it's going to if be. If you go to the, uh, uh, the... I'm up a hill. The government website. Actually, maybe this has been taken down since the new government went in. The, the, last year, there was a government website for climate change, like a commission that had all the data and stuff laid out. And I went to it, and if you saw the projected sea level um, rises for uh, anything in Australia that's by the ocean, it's like if you've got a house in Bondi, Palm Beach, Manly, you're kind of screwed. Like they reckon the next 70 to 100 years, like it's going to rise so high that everyone's going to be swamped. Oh, well, that's my sweet period, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, I've got it. Like, I'm, I reckon my house is the exact right place on the hill yeah. to get, like, to be waterfront for a while. Yeah. And then. Who cares? Then it's all over. Well, then I'm going <laughs> well, to Well, the kids can clean anyway. up our mess, can't they? Yeah, not my kids not my anyway. Fault. So it's <laughs> yeah. my, what do I care? Who's getting the house when I die? You know what I mean? Like, whatever. The cats. The cats. Yeah, so no, it's, it's fine. Good. Yeah, glad, on that glad. note. Uh, all right, that's that's good. We did another hour. Oh, really? Shit, yeah. flew by. Okay, cool. Oh, well, because we did, remember, we had a little break. So was, we oh, did yeah. 40 and then we did 20. Okay. So that's an hour. All right. So we'll try. Are you doing math for me now? 
This is the new podcast where I do math. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, Tofop quotes. Uh, Facebook, Twitter. Facebook, Twitter. I don't know. Should we just that? say goodbye? Yeah. I mean, it's like if we were doing it weekly, I'm sure we would have the enthusiasm, well, but we've literally we plugged those same things. to promote. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Who even knows? Yeah. Just, I will have gigs and stuff in the US. If you're listening in the US, yeah. there's a bunch of my gigs, willanderson.com.au. I'm on television, you know. Charlie's on television, weeknights. You know, watch just that. Watch it if I'm not in the pre credit sequence. Then you're not in that episode. Yeah. So, if um, But yeah, you should watch anyway. Watch anyway. It's a good show. Yeah. yeah you, there you, you go. love it. It's, it's love. There's laughter, there's drama. There's guys with their shirts off, there's girls in bikinis, and then there's me. <laughs> Who remains conspicuously clothed, clothed most of the show. Hey, guys, I've been in the gym for six months. I'm really taking my shirt off. Nah, it's okay, Charlie. We're, yeah. It's all right. We've got these other guys. Yeah, here. yeah. In the surf club with your cl- clothes on. Thanks, Donuts. <laughs> Charlie, can you put on a few extra layers? You're starting to make people feel sick. Uh, all right. We're done. Yeah, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs>